I have a favor to ask of Zoom people. Hi there, Zoom people. <laughs> and my favor is, for those of you who don't have your video on right now, would you mind turning it on just for a moment so I can see you here? And then you can turn it off as soon as you turn it off. And if you can't, you know, if you're in a situation where you can't turn it on, that's all right too. But I just wanted to, as we do it now where we only see the squares of people who have their video on, so otherwise I don't know who's here. All right. Thank you. Nice to see you. Good morning. So about a dozen of us have been uh, in a session or retreat uh, since Friday night. And this is our annual loving kindness retreat which we do every February, sort of a Valentine to ourselves. If you missed it this year, and if you're interested after hearing the talk, you know that um, it will happen again. It will manifest again. <laughs> and also, you don't have to wait till next year to practice it. So this is a practice of being tender and kind and loving to ourselves. So sometimes there's a question of, well, is this selfish? Because we're, we start, I usually in these retreats and in the practice, we start with the self and I spend a lot of energy and time helping us to cultivate this. So sometimes that question comes up. Um, either, yeah, people are wondering, like, is this a good idea? And I say, no, it's not selfish. And yes, it is a good idea. <laughs> Because um, practicing this tenderness and love and compassion toward ourselves really helps us connect with others in a deep and loving way. So also we can say um, in our in our teachings, we hear that we're not separate from others. There's no separation. So if that's true, then when we practice loving kindness toward ourselves, we're also practicing loving kindness toward so-called others. So the way that loving kindness practice works, and by the way, I should mention that this is this practice is more from the Tibetan tradition, but many Zen practitioners have incorporated it into uh, the way that we practice, and we do it a little bit differently than maybe a well, I'm sure than than in a in a um, more traditional Tibetan uh, uh, meditation way, but um, but I think we're still honoring the the seed or the root. Of this practice. Um, so how it works is um, the, at the beginning of the practice, we cultivate, we connect in with a wish for our own well-being. And sometimes there's a lot of people who report that um, they feel that they they're uncomfortable with that or somehow don't deserve it. Um, and maybe you know we've been raised to please others, so just you know, showering ourselves with love and affection feels odd because we're not used to it. Um, and if that's true, then what we need to do to do this practice is we have to play with different ways of laying the ground to make this offering to ourselves. So traditionally, actually, the practice starts with the self with the thought that that's easiest. <laughs> like that people would automatically 
of course, have positive self-regard. So we'll start with the self and then go to sequentially harder beings to offer loving kindness. Um, so we can play around with different ways of doing it. Um, but basically, for those who aren't familiar with the practice at all, um, uh, the basic practice is we offer four phrases of loving kindness toward ourselves and then sequentially for others. And the four phrases are, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you have ease of well-being. And sometimes for that last one, I say, may you be liberated, although sometimes liberation sounds a little um, abstract. So ease of well-being is a little bit more tangible and easier to, to get a felt sense of that in our bodies. So first of all, I want to ask and answer why uh, we might do this practice. So one answer is that loving kindness practice is one way of cultivating bodhicitta. And bodhicitta is considered like the, the you know, kind of the first thing that sort of really sets you on the path of practice, of a spiritual practice, of this spiritual practice. And bodhicitta is known as, I think the direct translation is something like the mind of awakening. Um, so it's putting you in the direction of waking up, being present, uh, being on this path. Um, also, I've heard it described as the mind of love. And that love is for self and others, and no separation. Um, it's also the mind that leads one to becoming a bodhisattva, an awakening being, uh, one who helps others to wake up, to be liberated, to be free, to be saved. So that's one reason to do it, because it can help us cultivate that bodhicitta, which will help us sort of plant ourselves more firmly in a spiritual path, if that's what we want to do. So if we're wanting to, to plant ourselves on a spiritual path, this is one way that we could do that, is loving-kindness practice, which helps us develop bodhicitta. Another thing that loving-kindness can be very helpful for, and this is actually why I started doing it, is um, it's helpful for those of us who have a hard time developing concentration. In our practice, usually it's just formless meditation. So we just sit down and shut up and, um, <laughs> and then be present with whatever arises. So that's great, unless you're someone who has trouble concentrating. And then it's like, couldn't we just sit down and daydream? And then not being aware. So once in a while, we're, I mean, when we daydream, once in a while, we're aware. Oh, here's what's happening. There's nothing wrong with daydreaming. This statement, but if we're wanting to cultivate a more clear awareness, then um, developing concentration is a good practice. So, for me, doing these phrases is a way to just come back, come back, come back to the present. Saying the phrases is a way to remind me I'm doing something other than just like letting my mind wander. Also, Aimless wandering is, is our practice too, so I don't want to just that either. <laughs> All of these things we hold lightly. So that's kind of some of the reasons why we might do loving kindness practice. So then um, here's a question of, well, why, why shouldn't we do it? Like, sort of coming from the other side, what would stop us from doing it? 
and one thing that could stop us is there's kind of a bias against practicing techniques in our tradition. As I said, the main thing is chikantaza or open limited awareness that we described is sit down and shut up and be present with whatever arises. So that's like no technique at all, other than maybe the meditation posture. Um, so that bias is there, and then what do we do with it? And I found in this book by Norman Fisher called Training and Compassion, which is it's about the Zen teachings of Lojong, which my understanding is that loving kindness is like you would, um, you might do loving kindness practices as a way, as a kind of beginning to develop what we teach us. So then we could go on and do this loving practice, which I'm not going to talk about today, but maybe some other day. Uh, but I think this was very good. He's pointing to um, this, uh, what he calls cultural prejudices around, you know, advanced techniques. So this is what he says. Every form of religion and every form of Buddhism has its cultural prejudices. And in Zen practice, especially my school of Zen Soto Zen, the prejudice is to be anti-technique. As I've said, uh, so he does talk about this before, Zen even denies the difference between meditation and non-meditation. Yeah. <laughs> like we're all, you know, and so that's what we do in Sashen. It's like sometimes we're meditating and other sitting in the Zendo and other times we're working or eating. And the idea is that we're just, everything is, is our awareness. So anyway, that's, that's kind of how strong the technique is like, oh, no difference. So then he says, how much more then would it be resistance to particular meditation techniques? Zen meditation is radically simple. Just sit still and breathe and see what happens. Everything else seems overly fancy. So in Zen, if we practice special techniques, we always hold them very lightly without worrying too much about the details or taking them too seriously. Focusing on technique as technique seems somehow against the whole proposition of religion. It just doesn't seem reasonable that our spiritual well-being is somehow going to be insured if we master a technique. Although some of us maybe have that wish that <laughs> we just master this. Where was I? Uh, it just doesn't seem reasonable that our spiritual well-being is somehow going to be insured if we master a technique. And that religion is an art form, a matter of virtuosity. Or that the reverse would be so, that somehow our spiritual path would be wrecked or invalidated because we can't master a certain technique. On the other hand, it would also be foolish to have a dogmatic principle against any technique. Sometimes a technique can come in handy when you need it. So given this anti-technique prejudice and this flexible spirit of willing curiosity, we can take up a technique. <laughs> so if we're using this practice as I did when I was starting out to uh, develop our concentration uh, we can set the intention to practice like use these phrases with lightness and flexibility and not use the phrases to bludgeon your mind into submission. And I have to admit, when I was first doing this, that's exactly what I was doing. I, was, I noticed it. I was using them to like loving kindness phrases to bludgeon myself. 
it was kind of sad, but it was good that I noticed it. <laughs> and I could start working with it. Okay, so how can I just notice that I'm bludgeoning? And then, so that's the Shikantaza practice, like noticing what's going on and then just come back to it. And I come back to it in a different way. It's more flexible. So the classic uh, way to do this practice would be to silently recite those four phrases, or some you can kind of make your own uh, um, adjustments to the translations. Um, but to say basically the four things of wishing for yourself and others to be safe, to be happy, to be healthy, and to be uh, have ease of well-being. So the classic. Uh, um, way to do it is that you offer them to it's called the five types of beings and then to and then spread it out to all beings. So the five types of beings are described as and this isn't like um, this is five types of beings that you offer it to in this meditation. It's not the only five types of beings that there are in the world. Um, so the first is the self, as I said. Next is a benefactor or someone who's helped you and that you feel gratitude toward. Um, and then next would be someone uh, called a near and dear one, and usually this would be someone that's very easy for you to love. So the benefactor is someone who's loved you, and then the near and dear one is someone very easy for you to love. Uh, so usually, you know, it's like a child or a beloved friend. Um, when I was starting out this practice, I didn't have a child, but I had a nephew who was just a baby, so that was like really, really easy. Um, or it could be a spouse. Sometimes they say, don't pick a person that you have strong sexual attraction for because they're worried about like that getting, I don't know, messing you up. But I say, yeah, so what? You know, let that come in and then work with it. You know, so that's fine. Um, this is someone that's easy to love. This is a near and dear one. And then next is a little bit, goes a little bit in the harder direction, which is a neutral person. So this is someone that you don't know well probably because it's someone that you don't have any strong feelings positive or negative for and it's interesting in working with this i often noticed that it was really hard to find a completely neutral person because <laughs> it's interesting how the mind just you know even if i don't know someone it's like like this person don't like this person you know <laughs> like the way they look like the way they talk don't like the way they look or talk you know it's like oh my gosh <laughs> so i just would try to find a more or less neutral person. <laughs> um, then it's interesting to do it with that neutral person because then it's like, I don't really know anything about them, but I'm going to wish them, uh, uh, I'm going to wish for their happiness. And when I do that, then it's also like realizing, oh, even though I don't know anything about them or very little about them, that just like me, they're a person who suffers and wishes to be free from suffering. So. So then I have a local connection with this person I don't know, and I can practice what is it like to offer loving kindness to. So then you, you sort of uh, develop your loving kindness muscle through these things, the self, the benefactor, near and dear one, neutral person. And then the next one to take on is what classically it's called the enemy. So I usually translate it as a difficult person. Um, and what I say is that, um, and others who teach this also say this, you don't have to start with the most difficult person in your life. <laughs> you don't have to start with your abuser. Um, you can start with just someone who's mildly annoying. 
just say it, you know, for whatever, you know, there's something, but it's like, I can't just automatically feel, you know, uh, positive regard toward. And then it's like, okay, just like with the new person, can I work with this and say, well, this person, just like me, they suffer and they wish to be free from suffering. And so can I, can I find like where we have some resonance with each other, you know, internally, and then, um, and then working with that. Um, so a lot of times when I'm doing the, with the difficult person, I need to, um, like imagine them as a baby, like when they were a baby, um, or when they were a small child, or you know when they were hurting, you know rather than when they were in a position of power that was hurting me. So I sort of switch it, and then you know, and then and then work with that. So I might do that, and then imagine them as a baby, and then like myself, and and then I can kind of play with it and work with that. But um, I know that uh, Flying Fish, who um, is uh, was on, was in the teaching group here for many years and now moved to the West Coast, but uh, she told me that I think she said when she first started loving kindness practice, I think she said she spent a whole year, maybe it was more than a year, just on the self. Mm. So it's like we don't have to jump to doing it to the difficult person, you know, to just trust that if we're going to do this practice, we know that actually the difficult person is included even as we're working on ourselves or the near and dear one or the benefactor it's it's still it's it's increasing our capacity so um so we don't have to jump to the hardest thing so once we've uh done uh if we're doing it in the classic way once we've done for the five groups then we can start expanding it outward so sometimes people will do like different groups of people like people living in this city or everyone suffering from cancer or um, everyone experiencing racism or whatever, you know, so we, we can, like, may we be safe, may we be happy, may we be healthy, may we have ease of well-being, and then also then expanding it out to all beings. So usually I, if I'm, I didn't do it in this session, but sometimes I'll do a, um, like, meditation of just, you know, sort of ever-increasing circles, like, the city, the state, the country, the continent, the whole world, the whole earth, the universe, all beings everywhere until it spreads out. May all beings everywhere be safe. May all beings everywhere be happy. May all beings everywhere be healthy. May all beings everywhere are ease of well-being. So that's that's kind of the basic practice, and um, it. It, it helps to start, if we're starting out, especially if we're practicing from this tradition of Soto Zen, um, to have a, like an open, open awareness or that formless meditation to start with. So we start with being present with whatever's arising and letting it go. Um, we could start with um, being aware of our breath and our body um, and even like consciously relaxing our we have a sort of a relaxed and easy and open state to be in order to do this practice. Um, so one thing uh, that, that can help uh, help us with this practice is um, if we have like a kind of a resistance to it and want to do it. If you don't want to do it, it's fine. You don't have to do it. 
But if there's some part of you that's like, I might like to do this, but I'm just noticing resistance arising. Um, so one thing is to recognize that the wish to be free from suffering, and I'm using the word suffering, although actually it's dukkha, which means literally something like a wheel that's out of balance. Like, you know, it's, it's not, you know, there's something that is like, it's not an alignment. So, which is, I think, helpful to think about. Um, it's just something isn't quite right. And it might be suffering, like pain or whatever, but it might just be like sort of this uh, basic uncomfortableness with what is. Um, so, if we can see that that's there in us and that we wish to be free from that, we can know that that wish is wholesome. It's a wholesome wish. I can't remember where this teaching is, but somewhere it says, like, you should arouse the thought of enlightenment. You know, usually we're told, let go of all thoughts, but, you know, but there is one teaching that says, you should arouse the thought of enlightenment. So the thought of enlightenment is the wish to be free from suffering. It's the thought of liberation, freedom. So recognizing that as wholesome. Um, we start with the self by generating a feeling of goodwill toward ourselves. So we can do that by calling to mind a good deed that we did, or kind words that we offered, or a quality that we like about ourselves, or a strength or ability that we have. Or just, like I said, recognizing that primal urge toward happiness and freedom and the rightness and beauty of that. So for those of us, and I think it's probably a lot of people in my experience talking to people who have difficulty just even with that, generating uh, a positive self-regard, uh, then how could we do this practice? So I have some suggestions. Um, one is we start with the benefactor instead of with the self. So we start with someone who has really deeply loved us and helped us. And we can imagine them, and we can imagine them, well, we could offer them the loving kindness phrases, and then we could imagine them offering them back to us. And they probably have offered them to us, so then that would be kind of easy. So I had this memory of uh, when I was a little girl, my dad used to, um, after we were, you know, I think my mom tucked us in, and then my dad came around. He put his hand on our head one at a time and said, May God bless you and keep you well. And we couldn't go to sleep without him. <laughs> and so, you know, like all beings, my dad is a complicated person. So, I'm, you know, it's not like he's a perfect dad, but wow, that was something that he did for us. It was extremely. Um, nurturing. And so um, in the in the session, I suggested that you could imagine a being, um, either a real person or um, someone, you know, just that you would imagine uh, as being kind to you, actually doing that, putting a hand on the head. And there are stories in the Avatamsaka Sutra, <laughs> the flower ornament scripture of a bodhisattva or a Buddha putting a hand on the head. So it's like that is, that's a very uh, vivid and traditional uh, way of blessing. Um, so however you can, you know, sort of imagine this um, benefactor, 
giving love to you. And so then it's sort of like, if this person that I really respect and care about loves me, maybe I am worthy of love. So that's how that can kind of work in. And then we can start generating that positive self-regard. Um, so that's one way if you're having difficult offering love to yourself. Another way that you can do is start with the beloved one, that near and dear one. So this is what I did when I was first starting out. I just thought about my nephew Vaughn, who was a baby. And um, and I was his godmother, even though I'm then, which is kind of cool. <laughs> and whenever I thought of him, I just my heart just like bloomed, you know, open. So it was like so easy to just like happy, maybe healthy, and we have easily well-being. So I had this sort of blooming come up, and then I was like, oh, you know what? I was once a little baby, just like him. I mean, I was not just like him, <laughs> in the sense that I was once that, you know, small, radiant being. And so then I would, you know, sort of imagine like, shifting it, like, okay, so now, like, someone is offering that to me. Now I can offer that to myself. So that really helped me. That was a strong image. <clears throat> and another way of uh, practicing, so those are some ideas for um, if you're having trouble uh, with uh, generating the positive self-regard uh, or the self. Um, also, I found the, the phrases to be kind of dry and abstract. Even, you know, maybe have ease of well-being seem kind of dry and abstract to me. So as I tried working with them, um, I had a little trouble. Plus there were only four. And so then my mind, you know, it needed more complication. Because I, as I said, I have a hard time concentrating. When you have a hard time concentrating, you have to do more complicated practices so that your mind has something <laughs> to latch onto temporarily. Um, and so I read about the 11 benefits of loving of doing loving kindness meditation and i thought oh well these benefits could be used as a like wish so the benefits are um you will sleep easily like these are the things you know so-called you know set of side effects these are like the positive side effects uh you'll sleep easily you'll wake easily you'll have pleasant dreams um people will love you <laughs> <laughs> devas and animals will love you so devas are um, considered like heavenly beings so i would usually just translate angels because that's kind of my root tradition but uh anyway just imagining some uh some being who is kind of even a rarefied being the perfect beings are you know are there um loving you and animals loving you that's pretty nice um uh, and then uh, devas will protect you. So those heavenly beings will protect you. Physical danger will not harm you. And now it's seeming like, really? <laughs> so we'll have, we'll have to kind of get into a, what that actually means. You know, maybe it means that you're not separate. So then there's no, you know, there's no harm, but still physical danger will not harm you. Your face will be radiant. Your mind will be serene. You will die unconfused when it's your time to die, and you will be reborn in happy realms. So I thought, well, I could just do that as may I sleep easily, 
may I wake easily? May I have pleasant dreams? So it was, it was to me, that was way more concrete than just may you be safe. It's like, oh, sleeping, that would be pretty good. Waking up refreshed, having pleasant dreams. So this really helped me. You know, I, it's like it was something that I could really wish for myself and then others. Um, so I want to do, we have, I want to leave time for questions, but I'll, I just want to do like a mini meditation uh, with you on these 11 benefits, and then we'll open it up for questions and comments. So if you want to just uh, adjust your posture, we'll just move a little bit before settling back in. And so for this one, um, <clears throat> well, first of all, just paying attention to your breath. Bringing awareness into your body. Allowing your body to relax and let go. And then I'd like to suggest that you imagine a benefactor. So it could be someone who's really in your life, who's helped you, like a parent or a mentor or a teacher, or a, a good friend. Or it could be um, just uh, imagining the Buddha or the Bodhisattva. And if you like, you can even imagine them placing a hand on your head and then offering you these phrases as a blessing. And see if you can really take them in, really receive. So being in touch with your breath and your body. May you sleep easily. May you wake easily. May you have pleasant dreams. May people love you. May devas and animals love you. May devas protect you. May physical danger not harm you. May 
may your face be radiant. May your mind be serene. When it's your time to die, may you die unconfused. And may you be reborn in happy realms. <clears throat> meditation and we have a few minutes for questions or comments yes so i i love this kind of, uh, the loving kindness meditation. Um, I have some chronic health issues that are genetic, so they're not going away. And in the last year or so, I've really struggled with the "May I be healthy" phrase. Mm. Uh, you know, brings up a lot of feelings. You're never going to get healthy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's okay to work with those feelings, but sometimes I'd like another phrase uh -huh. that I can say that yeah. would be in the same realm that would just let me be at peace with that. Uh -huh. And I'm wondering or anyone has other ideas for something that they might say instead of may I be healthy? Uh -huh. Well, I noticed like in the 11 benefits that healthy isn't mentioned. <laughs> so one, you can switch to that. Um, one thing is, uh, you know, you could, you could shift it to um, may I be at ease with my body. So, you know, then it's like even, and really for all of us, because, you know, it's like, it's all of these things. It's like, we're, we can never be healthy. You know, eventually, we're going to be grow old, get sick, and die. So, I mean, you know, like wishing for health in that and that sort of narrow way is um, is really doesn't make sense. Yeah, and the so, word health really, I get fixated on that narrow definition. Of right. That's what I'm yeah, you know, actually, the classic definition, the classic translation, instead of health, I usually use health as you know, shorthand, but the classic definition is or translation is may I have physical happiness. So you can use that. Yeah, and then for the, the just plain happiness, it's called mental happiness. So may I be free from danger? May I have mental happiness? May I have physical happiness? May I have ease of well-being? Yes. I'm, I've been doing this all week with you here, or all day, and I, one thing I noticed that Last night I was really struggling with the guided. I, I did bludgeon myself a little bit with it. It's just how I am. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I went home and my unconscious, you know, so I trick it up this way. How many failures does it take to have a success? So even though I'm failing at a guided sit, when I go home, my unconscious goes, try this, honey. And it, it's like, so then I have a success. And I realized that the success I had was predicated on the failures that allowed me to take care of myself by leaving early. Mm -hmm. So I just yeah. like to notice that, that yeah. when, whenever we fail, we're not failing. Yeah. It's part of the journey. Yeah, that's really good. Thanks for that. It also reminds me, so Sharon Salzberg, who wrote the kind of um, 
whatever, it's sort of a masterpiece book on, on loving kindness practice. Um, she talks about when she first encountered the practice and she was in a retreat, it was, I don't know, it was supposed to be maybe a week long retreat. And um, the first few days were just spent on generating love and kindness for the self, saying the phrases. And something happened, like that she had to leave early. Um, she had to, to go, you know, to go back home, you know, maybe a pet was ill or something. So anyway, and so she was packing up her things and she was, and she was also bemoaning, like, I spent all this time and I just, you know, we're just on the self and I didn't even get it, you know, like, I, so she's kind of, that's, that's a story running in her mind as she's packing her bag and then she drops something, you know, and it shatters and she said, and she notices, she said to herself, Sharon, you're such a klutz, but I love you. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like, oh, it I guess something happened. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, we don't know how it's working in us. It can seem like a failure, but maybe something is going on. Yeah. I also notice when we're doing it together, um, it's like easier, number one, mm -hmm. in, in a group. and. I, I'm seeing the um, resistance to this isn't productive, <laughs> which I think is very societal. Uh -huh. So that you know, but it is in some way. Mm -hmm. but. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't remember the teacher. Maybe it was Katagiri Roshi who said meditation is good for nothing. <laughs> so in general, you know, it can, in a certain way it's not productive, but in another way we don't know. Yeah. Um, I find I, I hate to drive, and I, much of my life I have not had to drive because I've lived in places where I didn't have to drive. So. Coming back to the U.S. and having to drive on freeways, mm -hmm. um, I find my neutral people are all of those people in front of me, and I find that just repeating these phrases when I'm driving keeps me alert, keeps me connected to what's going on around me, and it's kind of for me, it's kind of like a I don't know, it's a, it's a habit of connection that is very common for me in what is a stressful situation. It's also great to, um, uh, great practice to remember there are people in all of those cars. Yeah. <laughs> because a lot of times, right, we just get into like, oh, these cars are in my way. <laughs> people, and they're going different places for different reasons that I don't know about, and then that can help, you know, really open up. One more question. Yes. Uh, could you talk a little bit, maybe define more clearly what you mean by ease of well-being? Yeah. Um, can you repeat the question? What, so the question was, uh, define more clearly what I mean by ease of well-being. So like I said, sometimes I'll say liberation or freedom. It's just it's it's so so in a, in in a certain way all the other ones are connected to it like being safe, having uh, mental happiness, having physical happiness, and then just a sense in our body and mind and spirit of just being open and present, 
So like there's an ease of whatever I'm doing, whatever's happening. There's there's a sense of well-being, even though, you know, something could be happening to me that's, you know, like I have a cold or the flu or, you know, I break my foot or you know, some, something happens. But there's an overall, there's a sense of just overall, there's a wellness that's here. And that and that I can move through life easily. So that's that's what I'm wishing. And the ease of well-being. Does that does that help? Um, do we have any little faces showing up yet? If not, we could take one more question. Yes. I just sometimes I say, "May I live at ease of heart." Ease of heart. Yeah. Yeah. So if it's short, we probably could take one more question to come in. Yes. I have a teacher, the first time I practiced this um, and met with the teacher, it was probably 12 years ago, and I remember struggling with it. And um, I asked her because it didn't feel even neutral to practice, like mm -hmm. myself or with someone who was difficult. Mm -hmm. It felt like a lie, you know? Oh, yeah. And then it was adding this agitation, and I kind of asked her about it, and her opinion um, was, Essentially, fake it till you make it. Yeah, you know, like keep keep moving, and this will this will shift and change you. I was curious if you could talk on that. Yeah, I, I think that that's really true. That that can happen. the The danger is that you don't bludgeon yourself. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's like saying them and hold, saying the phrases and holding them lightly, um, and then seeing what it does to you. Okay, it sounds like we have some little voices, so when they start to ring bells, we'll...